3: Welcome to This Is How You Do It, the new mashup series from The Guilty Feminist and Media Storm, where we celebrate people making waves in their industries and working towards social justice. I'm Helena Wadia.
1: And I'm Matilda Mallinson, and we're the hosts of Media Storm, the podcast that hands the mic to people with lived experience and calls out what the mainstream media could be doing better to report on marginalised groups.
3: This week, we have some very special guests. You may remember them from our Media Storm Series 1 episode on sex worker rights. If you haven't listened to it yet, just pause this, have a listen, and come back.
1: We'll catch you up here too, though. In the episode, we went to Bristol, where the city centre's strip clubs were under threat and facing closure. After a few years of indecision, public consultations, and, as we heard in our investigation, political motivations... A decision was made on whether or not to ban strip clubs in Bristol.
3: And fittingly, this bonus series is called This Is How You Do It, because, well, this is how you do it. Bristol Sex Workers Collective and other groups fought for the sexual entertainment venues to stay open and won.
1: And with us now are three dancers from Bristol Sex Workers Collective. You may remember Amelie and Scarlett from our episode, and joining them is Layla. Hi everyone, I'm going to introduce you one by one so that listeners can identify your voices. Hi, Emily. Hello. Scarlett. Hi. And Layla. Hey, yeah. Right, everyone remember those voices. We're uh, really happy to have you guys back. Thank you for being here.
4: Oh, thank you for having us again. Also, I
3: kind of noticed, Emily, you and I are wearing the same thing. Oh yeah, I'm all about <laughs> grand t-shirts.
4: <laughs> we didn't get the memo.
3: You didn't get the stripy memo. Well, first of all, I just want to start by asking really How do you feel now the decision has been made to keep the clubs open? I imagine a huge sense of relief.
4: Yeah, I think it's... uh, Yeah, we're massively relieved. We're like, we're not losing our jobs. Um, But at the same time, we're like, is it that much of a good news? Because at at the end of the day, nothing's gotten better. Like, this is not an improvement. We've just managed to, like avoid a worst case scenario um so now for us as like activists and trade unionists this is when the real work happens this is when we can try and push for better working conditions in our workplaces
1: so will you just fill us in and tell us what bristol sex workers collective is and what it does and why it's needed
5: we are um, a grassroots org in that we're completely separate from anyone who could profit from sex workers' labor. So completely separate from managers and owners. Um, in terms of what we do, obviously, right now we've spent a lot of our time and energy has been fighting this nil cap, um, which is a massive shame because we have a lot of members and a lot of amazing projects we want to be able to do in the community. Has a high proportion of students, that's the group that we really want to be supporting. Um, running just sort of peer support groups, stuff around sexual health. But so much of our energy has been taken up by this consultation at the moment.
3: And can you tell us what happened in the meeting where the final decision was made? Because I was following along on uh, various Twitter threads and it seemed like high drama, <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it did get quite heated at some mm. point where a, so. a counsellor was being quite supportive and was saying, I feel like some so-called feminists try and quiet down the women that they disagree with.
0: Uh, like say that we can't make our own decisions for yeah. ourselves.
4: One of them just started shouting across the chamber saying like that they never said this. It was outrageous. So it just like like we're quite coordinated we just all turned and like shushed her she
2: didn't
4: like it (laughs) and she did not like it and turned around and um flipped off my friend and like mouthed f off
3: you know this is reminding me actually because Scarlett on our episode you said you have never felt so disrespected than by the people who were opposing you and what you do for a living those people say that you're being disrespected at work but you were saying the only time you've ever felt disrespected in this situation was from those people.
0: There's incidents where you feel disrespected at work by customers, by management, whatever, it's a job, jobs have shitty aspects but having to sit there for hours and listen to people argue about why you don't deserve to work, why what every everything you have to say is wrong when we're giving like emotional arguments about why we need these jobs why we need our livelihood and having people sit there listen to it and then still decide that we're wrong is so horrible and then for the way that they like into the hostility that was radiating off this this group of people it was very clear that they really just don't see us as people
5: they the minute they after a decade of constantly winning nil caps were clearly losing the most publicised one that's happened in this country today, they just couldn't take that with any grace.
1: You know what, though? You guys have changed plenty of minds. And credit to you, because my dad listens to all of our episodes, and he's your quintessential kind of stiff upper lip British bloke. And his favourite episode, and the one that he says changed his mind more than anything, was your episode, and the episode on sex worker rights. And on the day of the ruling in Bristol, council the day that you guys won and the strip clubs were allowed to stay open I mean I can I can see why you say that's not a victory that's just maintaining something you already had but when that ruling came through I woke up to a text from my dad being like victory have you seen this (laughs) that's so cute yeah so you have really changed people's minds You talked about how this is a reality this is a job people do always has been the case always will be the case we can either regulate it or not regulate it it's a basic question of safety and so when when you are so much having to take your safety into your own hands how how important is community and and i suppose with bristol sex workers collective it, it's about collectivity it's kind of like a union how, how important is that for your work
0: I think community is one of the most important things in this job because being in this industry is so isolating. As like strippers we're working nights like you don't really get to have a normal life of like doing things in the day and like hanging out with your friends all the time. Like you have to have community within the industry and because the experiences that we have doing this job are so unique if you don't have solidarity from other sex workers, other strippers, it is very lonely.
4: Yeah, I think also because we are such a criminalized industry, I mean like I I would qualify the current licensing regime for strip clubs in the UK to be partial criminalization. If we always have to face state violence the only people we can rely on is each other. We have to have those like mutual aid funds and projects set up there to help each other and support each other. Uh I mean this campaign would not have happened should we if we had didn't have each other, because it was long, it was exhausting. Even just having that, you know, little group chat where you can vent and say silly things, sometimes that's just what you need.
5: When times are tough, having that support and having a community that supports you is life changing, um, like financially with your mental health, like your physical health. This group has always like pulled through for each other. But also when things are going well, to be able to, you know, especially last week, to be able to relax, be able to celebrate. You never have to watch what you say with about work. You never have to justify little bits about money or experiences at work. You can just genuinely relax.
3: I think what really struck us when we did the episode was that that kind of constant pushing forward and having to defend yourselves. It's interesting that that still exists when some of the biggest human rights organisations in the world, like Amnesty International, support full decriminalisation of sex work. Why do you think people are still surprised when they hear something like that?
5: Partly, it's obviously incredibly poor reporting around sex work always. So, So most people aren't checking what Amnesty is saying about every particular issue all the time. People aren't keeping up with um the narrative except for what they get through the media so if that narrative isn't being passed down to them through the media and that stigma is still prevailing in all the media they get they're not going to know that this is what amnesty is saying and this is what the world health organization is saying
4: i think a lot of the time those stances like anti-sex work and anti decriminalization what amnesty said also comes from racism because a lot of these people often are like all these sex worker-led organization they they're from the Western world. This is not what, what happened within the global South. And it's like, well, look at India. They also support decriminalisation. Look at Kenya. These people completely erase all the work that's been done in the global South um, to fit their agenda and weaponize race.
0: People just can't bring themselves to be like, oh, a sex worker might be right. No matter how much evidence there is, it is always outweighed by their opinion that like sex work are brainwashed and stupid.
4: The huge support we had in Bristol, I mean like eighty-six percent of the public was against shutting down strip clubs. I think it really shows how out of touch politicians and policymakers are. Like this is an incredibly unpopular policy, and so is the criminalisation of sex work. Um, in any poll, we'll show you that people don't support it, and yet politicians keep on pushing it anyway, just because they think it's like an open goal, and they're going to say like save the world and solve violence against women and girls like this because they just think short term they just think we need to be elected we need to have these policies but really they're just not they don't care who it affects how it affects people and yeah it's also unpopular
3: yeah also in our episode because there was so much to fit in we only really touched on the fact that whole communities such as the queer community are being missed out of the conversation because i think that in these mainstream media debates especially there's such a binary view that strip clubs are places that men go and women work but that's not true right
4: no i think it was really funny at the at the meeting at the council as well the like anti sex work groups were trying to weaponize lesbians against us they're like, but don't you see the statistics? I mean, like twenty percent of lesbians don't feel comfortable with it, and we're just sat
0: there like, like I'm a lesbian. What's your
4: point? Like <laughs> we're all gay. <laughs> like, what? like the queer community is so massively overrepresented in sex work because just for a lot of us, just yeah, the traditional job market just doesn't suit us, doesn't fit us. Uh, I mean, there's also discrimination against the LGBTQ community within the traditional job market so that's why all these reasons why we work within the sex industry so it was quite baffling to hear them trying to weaponize them as most likely straight women uh trying to weaponize the gay community against us it was just quite
0: keep the queers out of it <laughs> yeah.
5: you know plenty of female customers come in who are bisexual, lesbian or questioning. We have customers come in all the time who realise while they're there that after however many years of adulthood they actually quite like women too. And it you know, it makes absolutely no sense to weaponize lesbianism against those female customers.
0: Yes. And also as like a trans person, I felt incredibly like shut out of a lot of the conversations. All of the arguments are so binary. I think that they don't understand that like Trans people are overrepresented in the sex industry because trans healthcare is so inaccessible that, you know, the only way that I'll ever be able to afford gender-affirming surgeries that I do want to get is through sex work because it costs so much money to have to do it privately and these are life-changing, life-saving surgeries that people need or hormones or whatever or, you know, to be able to afford mental health help because, trans people are disproportionately affected by mental health issues and these things just aren't accessible to turn around and say that strip clubs damage the queer community is so like absurd to me because stripping has been something that I and not only me like other people I know have needed to be able to afford to like experience gender
1: and that's where we're going to take a break have a chocolate biscuit and uh, regroup in a couple of minutes It's genie time, which means that Helena is magically transforming into a beautiful purple genie. I don't know why purple, I just feel like purple's
3: your colour. It is.
1: Carla, Amelie, Layla, you guys have one wish. This is a really stingy genie and the three of you get one wish collectively to change anything you like about the mainstream media and how it reports on the sex industry.
4: I think probably stop framing it as an issue with two sides that should hold the same weight because I don't think you can give lived experience and people with facts and research and say that this has the same weight as someone who just Doesn't
5: like it. Legacy media needs to melt away. Sometimes what passes for journalism for legacy media in this country is shocking. And we see that with sex work reporting and with all other kinds of reporting being clearly swayed by agendas and biases that are set by the money and relationships that they have behind the scenes. And slowly those um those legacy media outlets are melting away to give more space to like newer outlets like you guys and through different sort of uh, arenas like podcasts news sites and everything and there are loads more options now for us to have our voices heard we can't rely on legacy media at all.
3: On that note what are some of the worst slash funniest headlines you've ever seen about sex work?
0: I think one of the funniest bits has been the, the the screaming crying throwing up headline
1: or tell us
4: it was a joke when the response came out that obviously the nail cap wasn't going ahead in bristol the person in charge of our twitter account just was really excited and was like yeah nail cap's not going ahead we're screaming
0: screaming crying throwing <laughs> up in joy right now
4: and that got shared into like the guardian like every news outlet quoted
0: that part and we were like we were we were making a silly funny little joke and everyone has taken it like we were screaming crying People were probably throwing up when they got drunk later. (laughs) But like we weren't like vomiting all over over the council building. (laughs) They've used it in everything and it is just a meme. But like everyone who's reading this like doesn't know the context of it just being a funny little joke. And I think we are just forever going to be known as the people who were screaming, crying and throwing (laughs) up.
3: That I've actually I feel like embarrassed for the reporters who took that seriously. It's like, have you spent zero time online or like engaged in any online culture? outside of your bubble because then you would know the tone like oh god
1: it's it's really funny because they've they've just written it like like news they're like the dancers were quote screaming crying and throwing up with joy as they reported on their social media and the person who wrote it just like immediately sent in the group chat being like maybe I shouldn't
0: have written that I think this is going to haunt me for the rest of my
2: life
1: <laughs> probably the reason my dad got wind of the story in the first place was that
3: Tilda's dad was like I'm screaming I'm crying I'm throwing up <laughs> hashtag throwing up with joy you know, I,
0: had, I had someone ask me who was throwing up and I was like "No hey, what <laughs> i think it was like my dad maybe or like my grandma was like he was throwing up
4: just shows you how like the mainstream
3: medias are just, just like Disconnected. i love how you were all like please believe us and then the one thing they believe you on is <laughs> <laughs> like whoa you can take that with a pinch of salt <laughs>
5: than any one particular article they're like there's something really frustrating which you guys would like probably have seen if you've been like you do research if you search literally anything about sex workers you get just like a a constant stream of articles they're basically the exact same article and it's a story that will be like a tell-all from a sex worker somewhere that is a glamorized picture of how much money she makes doing only fan porn selling feet pics being a dominatrix, being a stripper, occasionally an equal service worker. And it's usually this like incredibly glamorised, incredibly inaccurate and like unattainable level of money. And that is just so, that saturates everything. So if you go on like certain tabloid sites and you search for sex work, I have done to see if they're saying anything about, I don't know, decriminalisation or the current fight against the councils, it's just article after article about empowered women who, made seven thousand pounds a month from only fans
0: which is the thing that is more dangerous in sex work expansionism it's not us it's the tabloids printing things being like you can make you can buy a house from only fans in a week that's what's glamorizing the industry that's that's more dangerous and that's more of the media than you know active that's nothing to do with like activist groups i
4: think in the media a lot of people now are a bit more like yes we should listen to lived experience we should listen to people who are in the industry it's like yes but you should listen to activists you should listen to organizers they do need to be careful about who they actually talk to
0: if someone's making like mad money, they're gonna be talking about it. I'm not posting online every time I have a really shit night at work. and being like, guess how little money I made. The people who are the loudest are the people who are the minority in like, some people do make insanely good money from certain forms of sex work, but a lot of people really don't. And people need to like, you know, just think about the wider context and like take things with a pinch of salt. they like, people can just lie as well.
3: Layla, Emily and Scarlett, thank you so much for joining us on This is How You Do It. Where can people follow you and do you have anything to plug?
0: You can follow me on Instagram at halfgothgf, goth with a zero, or on Twitter at Cinepixie. You can find me on Twitter at Layla in Bristol.
4: Follow me on Twitter. I am a French stripper. Follow Bristol Sex Works Collective so you can see more of the work that we do and follow our Trade Union United Sex Workers.
3: Thank you for listening. Make sure you catch the latest Guilty Feminist episode recorded live from Adelaide with guests including comedian Geraldine Hickey and poet Manel Younes, all presented by Deborah frances white
1: And have you heard the latest Media Storm episode? We discuss masculinity, body image, and disordered eating in men with special guest Scotty, who is just fantastic. And a new episode of Media Storm will be out next Thursday looking at the communities on the front lines of climate damage the corporations causing that damage and the marketing campaigns concealing it. See you then. (laughs) Like, whoa, you can take that with a pinch of salt.
5: In any one particular article they're like there's something really frustrating which you guys would like probably have seen if you when like you do research if you search literally anything about sex workers you get just like a a constant stream of articles they're so basically the exact same article and it's a story that will be like a tell-all from a sex worker somewhere that is a glamorized picture of how much money she makes doing only porn selling feet pics being a dominatrix, being a stripper, occasionally equal service worker. And it's usually this like incredibly glamorized, incredibly inaccurate and like unattainable level of money. And that is just so, that it saturates everything. So if you go on like certain tabloid sites and you search for sex work, which I have done to see if they're saying anything about, I don't know, decriminalisation or the current fight against the councils. It's just article after article about empowered women who Made seven thousand pounds a month from OnlyFans,
0: which is the thing that is more dangerous in sex work expansionism. It's not us, it's the tabloids printing things, being like, You can make you can buy a house from OnlyFans in a week. That's what's glamorizing the industry. That's that's more dangerous, and that's more of the media than you know, active. That's nothing to do with like activist groups
4: I think in the media a lot of people now are a bit more like yes we should listen to lived experience we should listen to people who are in the industry it's like yes but you should listen to activists you should listen to organisers they do need to be careful about who they
0: actually talk to if someone's making like mad money, they're gonna be talking about it. I'm not posting online every time I have a really shit night at work. and being like, guess how little money I made. The people who are the loudest are the people who are the minority in like, some people do make insanely good money from certain forms of sex work, but a lot of people really don't. And people need to like, you know, just think about the wider context and like take things with a pinch of salt. they like, people can just lie as well.
3: Layla, Amelie and Scarlett, thank you so much for joining us on This Is How You Do It. Where can people follow you and do you have anything to plug?
0: You can follow me on Instagram at halfgf, goth with a zero or on Twitter at Cinepixie.
4: You can find me on Twitter at Layla in Bristol. Follow me on Twitter. I am a French stripper. Follow Bristol Sex Works Collective so you can see more of the work that we do and follow our Trade Union United Sex Workers.
3: Thank you for listening. Make sure you catch the latest Guilty Feminist episode recorded live from Adelaide with guests including comedian Geraldine Hickey and poet Manel Yunus, all presented by Deborah frances white
1: And have you heard the latest Media Storm episode? We discuss masculinity, body image, and disordered eating in men with special guest Scotty, who is just fantastic. And a new episode of Media Storm will be out next Thursday looking at the communities on the front lines of climate damage the corporations causing that damage and the marketing campaigns concealing it. See you then.